0: We're taking a break from our series on Joshua to give our attention to what today is all about. The world calls it Easter, and we Christians also call it Resurrection Sunday. It's a day where the resurrection of Jesus Christ comes front and center in our worship and witness. After all, the Apostle Paul goes so far as to say that the whole Christian faith hangs on the truth of his resurrection. So today, let's linger and meditate long and deep on the empty grave. For his resurrection is our resurrection. That's what it means to be a Christian, is to be in Christ, is to be so united with him that his death, his life, and his resurrection becomes ours. In Christ, we have crossed over from death to life. And this life is a new life, it's an eternal life, that already bleeds into the present moment. Yes, in this present age, we still live in our old decaying bodies, but already our inner self is being renewed by God day by day. God is recreating our souls to become something new and something strong enough to handle the magnificence of our future resurrection. This is what Jesus secures for us by his resurrection. And as we linger and meditate on that, we shall end in praise. So let's go through that. Let's look at our text for today, which is 1 Peter 1, 3. Let me read that for you. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter says that through the resurrection of Christ, we are brought from death to life. We have something so marvelous that praise comes out of us naturally. So let's look at that. There's three things that I want to point out today about this resurrection that we have in Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ turns our old lives into new birth, our dead promises into a living hope, and our empty souls into praise. First of all, our old lives are turned into a new birth. Peter says this, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth. Now, what does that mean? Well, if you look at the Gospel of John, Jesus had this conversation with Nicodemus and in it he says that the only way to enter the kingdom of God is to be born again. Now the first time we were born, we were born physically through our mother, right? That was our first life. That's where we all began. But thank God, that's not where we have to end. Now why would I say that? Well, if you've lived long enough, you know that there's little to nothing to really be excited or happy about in this old life of ours, right? Sure, you can enjoy a lot of relationships and friendships and nice things, and those are wonderful, but in our world today, we are more connected than ever. We are far more prosperous than past civilizations, and yet we remain incurably miserable. And this becomes obvious when we look at the ironies that we are living with in our existence nowadays. Many of us are so overstressed with so many things to do, and yet, we remain profoundly bored with life. Many of us are cynical about anything that sounds good, and yet, again and again, we get disappointed. Many of us are desperate and hungry for authentic relationships and community. And yet, we can't seem to love and stay with real people for too long. It's hard to put a finger around it, but everyone gets a sense that there is something fundamentally wrong with this life. The teacher of Ecclesiastes observes all of this and he calls it meaningless. And frankly, we're all sick and tired of it. Aren't you fed up with it yet? But thank God, we don't have to end there. God, in his great mercy, has given us new birth. Now, in this second birth, we are born again through the Spirit of God, spiritually. And this is not because of some great things. Thing that we do, that we achieve, no, it is by His great mercy. It's God through and through. It's grace through and through. When we were born through our mother, it was our mother who went through forty weeks of pregnancy, and she had to go through this arduous labor, so that when we come out of the womb, we're welcomed in the world. But we're not the ones being congratulated. We congratulate the mother. Right, She did that. In the same way, when we were born again, this was something entirely God. God initiated, God accomplished, God completed. Through what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, what does that exactly mean? Well, the gospel says that when we put our faith in Christ, God unites us to Jesus Christ. His life, his obedience becomes our blessing. His death becomes our death to sin. And his resurrection becomes our resurrection to glory and life. That's what baptism means. We're baptized into Christ. We we become so embedded into Christ that our destinies become intertwined. So that when God raised Jesus from the grave, so did we. Rise from the dead. See, if you're tired and fed up with your life, to you, Jesus says, come, be born again. Be born again. It's an entirely new life. See, the Christian life is not about, you know, adding some new religious commitments and sprinkling on top some religious rituals to your old life. No, that's not it. Christianity is about swapping the old life for something new. It's an entirely new life. And so the whole Christian life, it's about learning how to let go and put off the old self so that I can put on and and live into the new life that I have in Jesus Christ. And see, this new life that Jesus says, this life, he says, is a life to the full. Now it's hard to imagine what that exactly looks like because frankly, no one in history has ever managed to do that except one man. Read the four Gospels and observe the life of Jesus. Here is someone whose life seems very different in quality. In essence, it's different from our life because Jesus, even in desolate times, he remained incurably joyful. There's an extravagance and an exuberance to his joy and his peace and his blessedness. And Jesus had this unshakable sense of of purpose and mission that far transcended all the chaos happening around him. It ordered his life in such a way that he he's never overwhelmed by the demands of life. He's never underwhelmed by the disappointments of life. In fact, he, nobody's is was ever so utterly realistic about the realities of sin and evil and darkness and death as Jesus was. He went through all of that. He experienced all of that. And yet, he never became hardened and cynical and bitter. Instead, there was always this intense hope in what God could do. And so Jesus entered into the lives of people and sinners and he stayed and he loved them for real even long after they betrayed him and hurt him he stayed and loved see anyone who looks into the life of jesus anyone who does that comes away with a feeling that there is something fundamentally right and beautiful about his life and jesus says that that life that life is what you're born into That's the new birth. Come experience that by faith as you are united into my resurrection. And Peter, who was writing this letter, he has experienced that. And so did the Apostle Paul and the other disciples and countless believers in the past and present all testify to the experience of some measure of this new life that they are learning to live into. They, too, were tired with their old lives. But God, in His great mercy, has given us new birth. And so can you. And so do you by faith. We have a new birth. And that's why we also have a living hope. Our dead promises can turn into a living hope. Paul says that in our new birth, we are born into a living hope. Now, to understand this, let's step back for a moment, just to look at the world around us, just to understand reality as it is. Because if you look, the world is in ruins. There are wars and dysfunctional families, and society is disintegrating. People seem set against each other, like everyone is always inclined to fight against each other. From the womb, from the crib, we are being taught rivalry and greed. The world is restless. Nobody seems to know how to live in healthy relationships anymore. Things are not getting better. Things are not all right as they are. That is the unavoidable reality. And when we start to understand this and accept this, we start to realize all the lies that we have been hearing ever since we can remember, lies that promise a better world and a better life. We were told that human beings are basically wonderful and nice and good, and that we live in a pleasant world with a bright future ahead. And if there is chains or oppression or suffering, it's someone else's fault. And all we need is a little more time, a little more effort, and a little more technology and political will, and we will get there. Lies. All lies. How we can believe these lies, despite centuries of evidence to the contrary, shows just how desperate we are to get some semblance of hope so that we can face reality. But we're clinging, we're clinging, we're clinging to these dead promises of a better world and a better life because we're desperate. And so we listen, we listen to these people. We listen to advertisers promise to tell me what I need and what I want. Entertainers promise me a cheap way to joy. Politicians promise me peace and justice. Scientists promise that a new breakthrough might save us from ruin. Psychologists promise me how to live a long and healthy life. Moral teachers promise me how I can take control of my life. And so on, and so on, and so on. Lies. See, the problem with these lies is that there's some kernel of truth in it. There's some some truth in it. There's some value to what they're saying. But they are lies all the same because none of them can ultimately give me the better world and the better life that I long for. They're all promises dead in the water. And as long as I cling on to these things and believe that any or some or all of these could, can somehow edge me out from anxiety into peace and from deadness to aliveness, then I will never venture out into a new life of faith I will never cling on to a different kind of hope that I need unless I see that the ways of this world are a dead end. Then I will never truly understand that what I need is a living hope. It's a living hope. And this living hope that God promises to give us it's not like any other kind of hope that we say. It's not a wishful, aspirational hope like when we say, I wish, "I hope for better elections or I hope my next purchase will be better. No, no, no. That's weak. That's fragile because it's still hoping for something that might or might not happen. But the living hope is nothing like that. A living hope is sure and strong and vital because a living hope has... It's hope based on what has already happened. The resurrection has happened. It is done. The preconditions for this hope to be fulfilled have been fully met. And so this living hope, it's anchored in the past, giving me life in the present as I await for the future set in stone. That's the living hope. And Peter, by the way, who wrote this letter, he knows what he's talking about. When he says a living hope, he understands precisely because he's experienced a dead hope before. Remember, while Jesus was with Peter, Peter set his entire hope on Jesus becoming the kind of Messiah that he envisioned him to be. Jesus was going to be a Messiah that would rally the nation of Israel and overthrow the Roman oppressors and establish the country into new heights. And then Jesus died. And so did all of Peter's hopes. And Peter was in bitter sorrow with the, through all of this. His hopes ended and died. And what made it even more sorrowful and bitter for him was the fact that he knew he was involved in the downfall of that hope. He cursed and denied and abandoned Jesus and the crow cocked and he was bitter and sorrowful. When you and I have a bad day, you know, we can sleep it off and in the morning we might have a fresh start. But imagine Peter, every morning as he wakes up, the crow cocked and instantly he's reminded of his Denial and cursing of Jesus Christ. He knew what it meant to hold on to a promise dead in the water. But Jesus did not stay dead. On Easter morning, he rose back to life. And when Peter saw him, so did all of his hopes rise back to life. See, for Peter, the resurrection did not just mean that he was reunited with his master. For him, it was a dawn of a new hope, a hope that goes beyond the grave, a hope that could not be extinguished by the grave, a living hope, Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. He is Peter's living hope, and so is he our living hope because unlike all the promises in the past and now in this world jesus alone has finally finally delivered on the promise of a better world and a better life he alone and see this this hope that has resurrected along with the life of christ it is a living hope because it continues to grow it continues to mature and strengthen and become deeper year by year by year. And as I inch closer to death, that living hope grows with me. In fact, that's why it seems to me that Christians who come face to face with death, whether by age or by illness, these people are the ones who rapidly mature in their faith because they're the ones closest to what a living hope means. They understand. Pastor Tim Keller says that the world puts its hopes on something so that when suffering comes, their hope crumbles. But for the Christian's living hope, it grows in the face of suffering. It grows. Our hope intensifies exactly when when we need it the most. And by it, we become wiser when we become stronger, when we become, in fact, more joyful in the face of our sorrows. Because it's a living hope. He lives, and so does our hope live with Him. And therefore, we have a new birth into a living hope, and therefore, our empty souls can turn into praise, into an abundance of praise. Peter says all this should lead us to praise. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now to be exact, the word there is blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God because He has so blessed me. I am happy, I am full, I am satisfied, I am delighted and therefore praise. Now for us, it's a bit hard to imagine just how radical the idea of of blessedness means to the ancient mind. If you look back at the historical context, it's way different. Nowadays, the world expects happiness to be an an inviolable right, right? We we expect people to be happy. We, we, We think people should be happy, but that was not the case of the ancient world. They didn't think like that. Nobody expected to be happy back then. Happiness was for the gods, not for mortal people like us, where our life is full of suffering and tragedy. What's important is for people to live with courage and excellence and goodness and grace, but not happily. And if by some dumb chance you find happiness in life, you you should hide that fact because the gods might notice and spitefully, spitefully remove that from you, right? But into this ancient world, out of that comes a small tribe of people in a remote corner of civilization who started to say the words blessed. Israel sang songs of, and prayed prayers of blessing and joy and praise. They sensed that they were blessed so that they might become a blessing to the nations, just as God promised their father Abraham. Now, the other nations, they thought this was largely odd and ignored them, but they did become a blessing. And this is where Peter comes from. So it's no surprise that Peter says to a group of Christians, he was writing to a group of Christians here who were suffering intensely. And yet Paul says, Peter says, Praise, praise. Because Peter perceives that amidst the suffering that they were going through, there remains an essential blessedness at the heart of things. There remains a vital reason to be happy, so much so that overflow of praise can come out of their lives. Now you look at that and you compare that to our present situation nowadays, where our culture demands and expects happiness for everyone. We are entitled to our happiness, and yet the irony is that for a world that thinks happiness is a is, is, is essential right for everyone, compare that to how little happiness we have nowadays. You know, one sign that our culture is so desperate and lacking for joy, is you look at the entertainment industry and how large it has grown in the past decade. It's a multi-billion dollar industry because people are willing to pay for it. People are willing to invest in some way to get the happiness that seems to keep dissolving, that seems to keep slipping away from their hands like water. They can't get it. They can't get it. It keeps getting away. Because joy, it cannot be summoned or ordered or purchased or arranged. Joy can only come from God's abundance surging into the poverty of our souls. Nowhere else. Nowhere else. So Peter says, praise. How? How how should I praise? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because look, in the ancient world of Israel, they understood that God blessed them and that God gave a promise that blessings untold would come in the future. But now in Peter's world, the dams of heaven have been burst open so that an ocean of blessing is poured out. Christ has lived and died and resurrected. And that resurrection means that God's final and decisive, yes, God's final and decisive amen to bless us has been fulfilled. Every spiritual blessing, new birth, living hope, and there's greater more to come. There can be delight and satisfaction and praise. There can be praise. So listen. Listen. Those of us who are suffering, those of us who experience tragedy, those of us who are are barren of praise, barren of joy, Peter says, praise God. Praise God through the resurrection. Go to the empty grave. Go to the empty grave and see what it means. Go to the empty grave and hear the message. Hear God declare once more the promise of blessing. Let it, let, it, let it sing over you God's love. Let it assure you of His blessings. Let it lead you to praise. Now I understand some of us may not be particularly feeling like praising at the moment, right? We don't feel like praising. And yes, It's good for us to praise out of an overflow of joy, but the Bible never tells us that we should feel like it before we praise God. Because feelings are important, they're vital, and they point me to many things that help me and and that are real important. But my praise does not depend on my feelings My praise depends on what God has done, on who He is, on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. My feelings tell me next to nothing about that. My feelings will vary from moment to moment based on my digestion and on the temperature and on the experiences and on my perspective. But none of that changes the fact that Jesus lives and He lives for me. His resurrection is mine. Therefore, I can praise. That's why one author says the Bible wastes very little time on how we feel. Because our feelings are will vary from time to time. But the promises of God are sure. They're certain. They're done. And so there's always reason to praise there's always motivation to praise god's abundance is there for our empty souls always and so let us end in praise praise is not something we experience but it is something that we do regardless of what i feel at the moment now don't get me wrong i'm not saying that feelings should be ignored and that you should avoid whatever, facing whatever pain there is. No, that's not it. It's important that we, that we listen to our emotions, that we process through the pain. It's important that we do that, but it's important precisely because this is the process by which we will end in praise. You need to face the pain. See, praise is not, you, you, you praise not by avoiding pain, but by entering into it and nevertheless believing in God. So praise should not be done prematurely and shortcut and bypass all your emotions. No, no, no. You should go through the process, go through reality as it is and end in praise. But neither should we end this process prematurely and stop at our emotions and indulge in that. No, let it end in praise let it end in praise let us end in praise and the paradox there is that praise is exactly the remedy we need when we don't feel like doing it when we are suffering when we are barren of joy praise him praise god because and by that act of praising god We are being renewed day by day. We are being filled and healed until we eventually find our way back to joy. In His great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And therefore, let us praise. We see once You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Once you were hopeless and dead apart from God, but now you are a people of God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His wonderful light. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, We come before you, fixing our eyes on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We pray, Lord, that that would be the foundation upon which a lifetime of praise would be given to you. That our lips would sing. That our words would would magnify you that the lives would, would resonate and, and reflect the new life that we have in Christ. Lord, help us learn and live into the new life. Help us lean into the living hope and help us praise you until you come again. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you for all that you are, for all that you do. We thank you, Lord, that this day, as we remember the resurrection, we can look at it with hope and with joy and be blessed. Father, we thank you. Turn whatever is dead inside us into eternal life, to eternal joy and peace, and may your abundance surge into our poverty. We thank you for that, Lord, and we praise you for that. We pray all this with joyful gratitude and praise in our hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, our living Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining our online worship this Easter. God bless you and have a great week ahead.